Praise the Lord, everybody. Hey, welcome to the second half of the Triumphant Praise with Stu Hype Radio broadcast right here on Central Texas number one gospel radio station. Y'all know the deal. It is the first Tuesday of the month, July 6th. I hope and pray that every last one of you had a safe and fun July 4th. Amen and amen. No doubt about it. Y'all know the deal with the first uh, Tuesday of every month, man. We always welcome in our dear brother. He is Dr. Gregor. What's going on, Dr. Crew? How you doing, my friend? Well, Stu, you know, this is the day that the Lord has made, and we got so many reasons to rejoice. I'm excited and delighted about tonight's broadcast, particularly we have some special guests in the house with us tonight in the persons of Dr. Michelle Neely and Dr. Melissa Gonzalez. And I tell you, these women of God have been mentors, models, and motivators for so yes. many years, Stu. And so they fit the pattern of this segment of making a difference through mentorship, where we believe you make a difference one life at a time. And I'm so excited that they were able to so uh, orchestrate their schedules to be with us here tonight. No doubt about it, no doubt about it. So everybody looking here, thank y'all so much for allowing us to be in your ear, but what God would have you to hear for another edition, as Dr. Cruz said, of making a difference through mentorship. He is the host. I'm the ride along, I'm the war fly on the wall, and I'm so grateful to be in this position of on the wall to hear what thus saith the Lord. So without further ado, let's turn it right back over to our host. It is Dr. Gregory Cruel. Yes, indeed. Well, thank you once again, Stu. You are such a blessing to the body of Christ. And so as we enter into our broadcast tonight, tonight's theme is how to reach across the racial divide. And actually, Stu, this is part one as I discussed uh, this particular theme with these uh, educators um, of many, many years, we realized that we just would not be able to capture uh, all of the principles and precepts that we trust would be a blessing to those that are listening. And those that are listening, thank you so much for tuning in. And so as we get started tonight, ladies and gentlemen, President Biden stated in a USA Today article just a couple days ago that America is as divided today as it was during the Civil War era. The actor Tom Hanks has been criticized for his recent article in the New York Times that sums up his thoughts entitled, You Should Learn the Truth About the Tulsa Race Massacre. Hanks discusses in his article that despite his many years of education and interest in American history, he did not learn about the Tulsa Massacre until last year, 2020 when he read a New York Times article about that horrific day. Hanks further states in his article, I never read a page of any school history book about how in 1921, a mob of white people burned down a place called Black Wall Street, killed as many as 300 of its black citizens and displaced thousands of black Americans who lived in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Hanks goes on to say in his article, History was mostly written by white people about white people like me. While the history of black people, including the horrors of Tulsa, was too often left out. There's no question that there remains today a racial divide in the US. The problem has existed for hundreds of years and there's no denying this problem. But tonight, we want to discuss possible and potential solutions or how to reach across the racial divide, which will make us, as we have said for many, many years, 
one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. So allow me to introduce uh, our two very special guests. Dr. Michelle Neely is an educator, educational consultant and racial equity consultant. Her work as an educator includes coordinating global studies initiatives and travel, designing professional development and experiential learning. Dr. Neely is the founding associate principal of teaching and learning at the Barack Obama Male Leadership Academy, a nationally recognized blue ribbon school in Dallas, Texas. Currently, Dr. Neely is the principal of Katherine Johnson STEM Academy in DeSoto, Texas. As an educational consultant, Dr. Neely helps educators and organizations assess and implement education standards. She is a guiding force in improving opportunities and shaping the academic experience in the lives of students, parents, and educators across the country. In addition to global studies, Dr. Neely volunteers with Connect Teach to provide community programming and consultative services focused on racial equity. Dr. Neely holds a bachelor's degree in journalism from Sam Houston State University, a master's degree in communications from Southern Methodist University, and a doctorate in education leadership from the University of Mary Hardin Baylor University. Dr. Neely, thank you so much for being with us this evening. So glad to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. And Amen. our second guest this evening is my dear friend, longtime confidant, consultant, educator, affectionately called Dr. G in the person of Dr. Melissa Gonzalez. Dr. G is a seasoned educator and certified life strategist. She has the capacity to teach beyond the subject, imparting both wisdom and practical knowledge, a unique quality that distinguishes her in academia and beyond. Having felt the profound void of guidance and direction after losing her mother, Dr. G drew inspiration from anyone who seemed to be living wisely. Now, Dr. G helps others navigate life and inspires them to seize the opportunity for personal and professional growth. To that end, Dr. G is, a passionate, uh, is passionate about helping people capture their dreams and live the life they imagine. Dr. G holds a master's degree in psychology and a doctorate in higher education leadership. She has over 20 years of management and leadership experience in higher education and behavioral health. For 22 years, Dr. G served as a professor of psychology and of various courses in workforce education. She is a member of a local foundation board and volunteers as a facilitator for conversations surrounding social issues. Dr. G, Thank you so much for being with us this evening. Thank you for having me. Well, as we go further into tonight's topic, how to reach across the racial divide, we want to briefly uh, discuss or lay as a foundation for us a story that many of our listening audience is very familiar with. And that's Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter four, and specifically verse number seven. In a simple statement of four words, give me a drink, Jesus reached across a racial divide that had existed for hundreds of years between Jews and Samaritans. They literally hated one another. 
most Jews went around Samaria just to avoid coming in contact with Samaritans. There was absolute and total segregation and separation between them, which the Samaritan woman reiterated to Jesus when Jesus said, give me a drink. In verse number nine, the Samaritan woman said, Jews have no dealings or contact with us as Samaritans. She was just reminding Jesus as to who she was. And the disciples themselves were shocked when they heard Jesus talking to her, as we see in John 4 and 27. And yet because Jesus reached across the racial divide to share living water, the life of God with this woman that other Jews hated, a two-day revival broke out in Samaria, all because Jesus dared to reach across the racial divide. The scenario and historical event in John chapter four provides us both with divinity and humanity, God's sovereignty and man's partiality or being a respecter of persons. And so the problem of the racial divide is obviously present in our modern day society. All you gotta do is pick up your cell phone, go to your social media account, look at the news in the morning or in the evening because it's a long-term problem. One definition of a problem that I came across is something that has to be solved or an unpleasant or undesirable condition that needs to be corrected, that which is a hindrance or an obstacle. And so with this problem of the racial divide, we also want to consider the subtitle of our topic tonight, which is our responsibility to reach across the racial divide as Jesus did. And so Dr. Neely and Dr. Dr. G, we wanna to start tonight with our first question. And our first question, Dr. Neely, we'll start with you. How might the Samaritan woman have felt when she was approached by Jesus? I, I think when the Samaritan woman was approached by Jesus, she was probably nervous. She was probably in awe and shocked because Jesus is talking to her. In fact, she probably thought he was making a mistake and even speaking to her at all. Um, and I think the reason that you, as you stated, uh, is that she understood Jesus to, to be on one side of a cultural and ethical divide that she wasn't on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So she, she's, and if I can imagine myself in that situation, she's, she's probably stressed out with the yeah. nerves yeah. and the, awkwardness and everything else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. Dr. G, same question for you. How would you believe or how might the Samaritan woman have felt when she was approached by Jesus? When I think about this, I, I think about it in modern day light. And so my, my thoughts aren't as, um, aren't as pretty on, so beside what we actually read in scripture, I imagine the Samaritan woman could have felt one of two ways. One, she could have felt used when Jesus asked her for a drink because according to the, those times, like you stated, where those were two groups of people who avoided one another, there was such disdain and such yeah. hatred the idea then for, for my thought is I'm no good to you except when you're thirsty. Mm -hmm. 
Right. right. That could have been one thought. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the other thought could have been um, that she was irritated, merely irritated, mm-hmm. especially when Jesus said to her, if you knew with whom you were speaking, you would ask me for a drink. That's right. Yes. Uh-huh. Because here it is, um, all these years, again, the Samaritans being mistreated and hated by the Jews, avoided and merely tolerated when they were in the presence of each other. And now out of nowhere, you're my great savior. Right. Right. Now we don't, I, I get that we don't actually get to see um, those thoughts. We don't see um, everything as it likely played out. We see the end of the matter. And so she received Jesus and that's great. But again, when I think about it in terms of where we are today, sometimes these are the immediate thoughts that come to mind until we build a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, when you mention that term relationship, I, al- I often think about relationships simply meaning relate to me on my ship. If you're mm-hmm. sailing south and I'm sailing northeast, we're going in opposite directions. And so we also recognize and understand that relationships with her was a problem because of yes. the, the rest. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that's the idea. Are you just one of these other men? I've seen them all. I've had them all. Right. And now, what do you offer? Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, you know, I I think also about the, the whole idea then, if she struggled with relationships within her own ethnic background or group, her own nationality, certainly the struggle is real for her, or and perhaps, and perhaps it becomes even a question of identity. And mm-hmm. so let's, if this is an identity question for her, Dr. Neely, let's, let's come back to you. If she's struggling also with her identity, how, how could you help her to identify, well, who are you? Who are you at the core of your very being? Who are you first? Dr. Neely? So when I think about this question, um, I think about the answer that most of us would say. Um, A lot of us say I'm a black, you know, whatever my gender is, or I'm a a white, whatever my gender is. That's where we start. Mm -hmm. We start with our ethnic uh, relatability, and then we go to our gender. Mm -hmm. But that is not... But the, and that and that's a common mindset for create something that is created. Right. It doesn't know. It doesn't always go back to the origin. But a Christian's job is to go back to the origin of their creation. A Christian is yes. created by origin Christ. Of their creation. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So so society constantly barrages people with these ideas and the notion that um, you are you know you have to have uh, an allegiance with this group or this thing or this idea or this movement. And, and you can identify and understand those, but the essence of understanding anything as it relates to your identity is what would Christ do? How is this thing advancing the kingdom of God? Mm. So your, your identity is directly 
tied to whatever advances the kingdom of Christ. That's really good. You know, I, I you know, something you said, we generally start at that place of ethnicity or what it is we do. And I think that's part and partial because few have taken the time or fully understand the importance of recognizing the who instead of the what. Mm. And so I am personally fully um, persuaded that I am created in God's image and after his likeness and that I was created for his pleasure. Therefore, I am first and foremost a Christian. I'm a child of God. That is the place, the seat from which I operate. That is the place, the seat from which I do everything that I do, from which I'm able to associate with and among all these other things. Mm -hmm. So I'm a Christian and I get to be an educator. But even as an educator, God's purpose and plan for me is still for his pleasure and the advancement of his kingdom. Mm -hmm. And so I am who I am everywhere I am and with whatever it is I'm doing. And to add to that, every single thing that you think you do, you can find your, your, uh, the rule book or your policy book in, in the word of God. Um, I, I often have, have studied, uh, what Christian leadership looks like because mm -hmm. my role is to be a leader in education. Um, that's my occupation, leadership. Mm -hmm. So whenever I need to understand what that looks like, not from the policies written by, you know, the governing bodies or the district, I have to first go to the, to the word. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and very specifically, um, one of the under, underarching or overarching th themes that I've, I've come across over and over again is to figure out a deep and abiding love that's in Christ for others. Mm -hmm. Going back to what this story is saying, Jesus is trying to help this lady understand that he wants to have a deep and abiding, loving relationship with her. Wow, now that's powerful. Now, mm -hmm. now Dr. Neely, even with what you just mentioned there, let me just kind of slide this question in here as well. Because when you talk about love, it's, it's amazing to me how many different definitions or mm. how people view love. I love your shoes. Oh, I love your hairstyle. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but being able to reach across the racial divide, we've got to come to God's perspective of love. And so when, when we consider angry emotionally wrought African-Americans because of the struggles. You can go back to Trayvon Martin. And, you know, I think that that's kind of where the volcano began to erupt and explode and continue up through modern day. There are a lot of people that are Christians that are angry and um, having difficulty to love like God loves. Ladies, what would you say to that person? What would you say, how would you help Trayvon's mother to heal or George Floyd's family to heal from this perspective 
of what we're, Dr. Neely, what you were mentioning about love, because we know love is always the answer, but people's emotions, when they themselves become a volcano because of injustice or the, the, the wrong that has occurred, how do, we, how do we speak to those persons that are angry, that feel like justice just has not been done, it seems like things aren't going to change. Ladies, talk to those to those persons like that. Dr. Dr. G, let's start with you. And Dr. Neely, we'll come back to you. That's good. That's good. I, I, one thing you said, Dr. Neely, you said an abiding love. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that word abiding makes a world of difference because to abide is to stay. To abide is to cleave. It is to stick around, to hang in there, no matter what. Yeah. But an abiding love, when you think about staying and sticking and cleaving, comes with a responsibility to those to whom one abides with. And so I think this really does touch very closely on mentorship because in that abiding love, sometimes there needs to be correction. Yes, yes. There needs to be instruction. But I think before any of that, there has to be a chance. There has to be place and space for people to just hurt. Mm. Okay, that's good. Mm -hmm. For people to really feel what they're feeling, to experience the thoughts uh, they, they're thinking, they need that space. That is the starting space. When we take that away, then we devalue what is in them to make a difference in the long run. That's good. Mm -hmm. They have to have place and space to really process Places. what's going on, okay. what's happened, how in the world I missed it until now. They need time for that. And in time, I believe God speaks and he speaks himself very clearly, but he also uses those with whom we abide to lovingly lead us, to lovingly pay, uh, pave a, a, a way, a path forward. And so to uh, those who are angry and have just had enough, mm -hmm. I think it's okay for mm -hmm. them to feel like they feel, say what they have to say, but there's always a space, always a space where God's love can come in and we, the believer, have to know when that is and That's how true. we are to come in. Mm. It can be too soon. It, Absolutely. It, it can be too soon. Okay. Mm -hmm. Good. Good. I 100% agree with that, um, Dr. G. And I would, I would go back to the question and add this one thing. I think the difference in what Dr. G is speaking about and the difference uh, in what most of us do is and the question, the, the question was speak to, how would we speak to a person that is hurting in that way and you can't speak to 
Sometimes love is just in being there with them. And that is what she's saying. It can't, that two is a, a one time, uh, um, let, me, let me give you some words of encouragement. And when people are hurting and distraught and broken, mm -hmm. they need somebody to be an intercessor for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And an intercessor is someone who is staying right there and who is praying and, and, and petitioning on, on God's behalf, you know, on that person's behalf. And I think that sometimes we talk, we, we do too much talking and do too little loving and staying. Mm -hmm. And I think like what Dr. G said cannot be overstated. People need to be able to have, have the opportunity to walk through their own pain. Mm -hmm. May I give you an example? And, and I'll be really very short about this. And I want to use this example because it touched me. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I knew a woman who went through a very terrible time, a time that, you know, it was a situation that nobody would have ever guessed. It was just horrific. And when I learned about it, my heart was broken. And, and it was broken partly because I felt like I couldn't do anything to really help. Well, this, this woman and I, we, we had this going thing. She, she said to me, she would bake me some cookies and I love cookies. Um, and she, every time I saw her, I asked, well, where are my cookies? And she said, oh my goodness, I forgot about those cookies or I baked some and I ate them, but I'm gonna get you your cookies. And so when I learned about this situation, I went online and I found a cookie maker. And this cookie maker, um, delicious cookies, ginormous cookies. And I bought, um, I bought a dozen of cookies and I sent them. And I added a little note that said, I love you always. And that was it. So shortly after that, I had the occasion to uh, sit with her face to face. And she told me what great impact just getting those cookies made. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so what God said to me was, you don't have to have the answers. And you don't have to try to convince anybody or persuade them not to feel the way they feel. Mm -hmm. What you have to do is just be open and available mm -hmm. and truly love. Mm -hmm. And what you do will make a difference. Mm -hmm. yes. mm -hmm. Well, that's certainly, that's certainly what we see again as we just look back at Jesus and that woman at the well. This was not a monologue, it was a dialogue. There was a relationship that was established because at the core of Jesus' efforts was agape, was the love of God. Unconditional, just as I am, as jacked up, yes. messed up as I am. Yes, yes, yes. Conversation. And in a few moments, Jesus was able to develop a relationship with a stranger. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because as they continued their conversation, the relationship produced a transformation in her thinking. Where she uh -huh. got to the point where, because at first she wasn't trusting what Jesus was talking about. She wasn't, try, she wasn't trying to hear. Jews don't have no dealings with Samaritans. But because of his efforts in building and establishing relationships and part of the struggle, again, about not being able or our 
slow progress because it's been a very slow progress. Of course, you know, we can go back to the civil rights movement, Dr. King and those before him and, you know, uh, the, the current movements and all those types of things. It's been a very slow process. Relationships, they take time and they take an investment. If we're not going to make the investment in the relationship, there will never be trust that's established. Because for us to establish a relationship, it has to be purposeful and intentional. If it's purposeful and intentional, then at some point, that person that you're developing that relationship with is gonna believe that you value them. If they believe that you value them, they're going to trust you. And if they trust you, they're going to respect the words that are coming out of your mouth, not based on your title, tag, position, but because they have been able to discern for themselves that this person values me because trust is not easily established. But what we see in the pattern with Jesus and the woman at the well, Jesus was persistent without being uh, uh, dominating or domineering. He was just speaking truth. What the scripture says, Ephesians 4 and 16, speak the truth in love. Mm -hmm. And so when we consider again how, how we got to this point, Dr. Neely, about love, I'm just mm -hmm. thinking of that old song, when nothing else could help, That's it right. was love that lifted me. So as we continue with our time this evening, uh, a next question, uh, Dr. Neely, we'll start with you. How does a person reconcile who he or she is in relation to those who are not like him or her and his or her relationship with Christ? This is a, it's, it's a, it's a difficult question um, because I, I, it goes back to the order that we've been discussing here um, so far. The reconciliation, when you're in relationship or around uh, people that are not like you comes from the order in which uh, you understand whether, you know, where you fit like it, it's the order of Christ is first mm -hmm. Christ is the creator Christ has uh put us all here all of us to advance the kingdom and I think that I, I cannot find any other way to reconcile this other than that order understanding where we fit and how you know that we're we're the created to advance the kingdom of heaven and that that comes from love and it comes from relationships. And I, I think as you recognize who you are in Christ, and as you recognize all that he put into each of us because he loves us, regardless of what the world says, I think that's when people can, can that's when they reconcile things. Mm, mm -hmm. You know, cause you, you have to understand that even with every, I mean, the word tells us, count it all joy, every trial, every tribulation, everything that we go through, whether it's a person seeing us and they see us as just a person in, in a particular color skin, um, or they see us as a person that has a position, but, you know, or whatever, whatever the case is that that person is bringing, every intersection between 
you and someone else is, is an opportunity to advance the kingdom. And you don't even have to worry too much. All you have to do is keep your focus on the creator. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes we don't have, we mess up situations and we don't have enough knowledge to yeah. really to really get in there and do what he's called us to do. So if we can keep our gaze and our perspective on the creator, he will take care of the intersection that we're in at that moment in time. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you. Dr. G, same question. I would say the, the very first step is to find a commonality because we tend to, um, to shy away from people who are not like us. Uh, that means the opposite is true as well. We are drawn to people who are like us. And so when we take the time to find a commonality, it's more likely we can reconcile some of our differences. Mm -hmm. So for me personally, like Dr. Neely said, um, that would be the first commonality would, would be having been created by God. Mm -hmm. Now, I can't believe that um, God loves me, but not you. That's that's difficult for me to reconcile as a believer. And so now I'm stuck, if you were, um, with trying to then make right at least some part of what's wrong. Yeah, yeah. So I think commonality is the first place to start. And as a believer, that commonality is that we were all created in God's image after his likeness. Yeah. And so I can find some, you know, that becomes the one thing. And, and generally that leads to other things as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm. Thanks. Good. Good. Can I have one, add one more thing to that? If yes. you don't mind. I, I do think that sometimes we don't, uh, we don't always enjoy the opportunities that God puts in our lives. So if, if, if there is a difference or somebody who has, who's different than us, we go into those situations uh, with joy and thanksgiving to be there. It is highly likely that you will get past a surface uh, thing and that you will see <laughs> that person as someone that you are so, like it's, that person's a gift for your life. Yeah. And I, uh, I tend to try to go into situations like that. I'm not too much bothered by, um, any differences, I, I, I love people. And I think that's something that we have to get back to because I feel I, like now it doesn't seem like there's a lot of space to just love and enjoy people. That's good. Yeah. That's good. It would, it would be marvelous if we could get some legislation, you know, <laughs> you know, around that, you know, let's just get back to everybody loving everybody. My, what a world it would be. Well, Dr. Neely and Dr. G and, and your vocations and occupations, both of you, I've learned from both of you that um, there is a, a reality of what you call in your profession, cognitive dissonance. Can you ladies talk to us about that for a few moments and then um, you know, maybe connect cognitive dissonance to um, how we can help others to reach across the racial divide? All right. Okay. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Dr. Neely, you first. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, um, so cognitive dissonance is that uh, in, in our profession is that moment where someone 
uh, is learning something and they can't reconcile uh, what they know to be true and then what they're learning. They're, you know, it's just, there's a disconnect. And the person as they are learning it, uh, what we know in the classroom is that cognitive dissonance is a great space for adults and children to be in because it, it, it's, it's jarring to them. It makes them want to figure out more and more uh, what the actual truth is if they're interested in learning. Now, because mindset plays- That's uh, uh, Yeah, mindset plays a huge part in that. Yeah. So if a person has a very fixed mindset, then mm-hmm. they, are, they struggle because they don't uh, know something and they don't want people to know that they don't know. Mm-hmm. But if a person has a growth mindset as they deal with cognitive dissonance, then they love the fact that they figured out they don't know something and they can learn it, right? And so um, there's probably gonna be a more, of some, I think uh, Dr. G will take us down a more psychological um, <laughs> path with that, but in the classroom, it is, it's a catalyst for either a person to shut down depending on their mindset or mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a catalyst for a person to deal, to just lean in to what they don't know. So when you think about that in the, uh, racial divide. Uh, there are, are people that are recognizing, like Tom Hanks, as you spoke of earlier, who recognizes that he doesn't know about certain things in, in American history. And as he learns, he's like, everybody needs to know this. It's yeah, important. Yeah. It's part of our history. Yeah. But then there are people that say, no one needs to know this because it's, it's insignificant and it doesn't matter. And so we don't need to worry about this information. Wow, that's powerful. Dr. G, same question, ma'am. So two things, and I, and I won't back us up too much, but I was actually thinking about a book that Pastor Tony Evans wrote. I tried looking for the title. Of course, I can't find it, right? Uh, so I, I will get that to you at a later time and you can mention it. Okay. Uh, but it, it has to do with, uh, with the last question we were talking about. But as far as cognitive dissonance is concerned, and so most people are, what what does that really mean? Well, cognitive being mental of the mind, thought, dissonance being disjointed or broken. So there is a mental disjointedness or, or, um, or break in what we think, what we believe, and how we actually behave very, very simple example is this. Listen, I think the best way to live life is to eat right and exercise. You know, those are two of of the the main components of living a healthy life. Now ask me, but don't, how many times I exercise this week. Okay, so yeah, there's a problem. And so how do I reconcile that? Well, I will tell you, oh, I had three projects at work. I was working on two personal projects. I had to take my kids here, there, and everywhere. And now I get to feel better because I'm not living according to what I believe. Mm. Which is that diet and exercise will help me to live a longer, healthier life. And so that's cognitive dissonance in a nutshell. So when it comes to this issue, this issue of race, when it comes to equity, I believe the answer lies in an individual's experience. Mm-hmm. I, I hear, so if a person 
believes all humankind are created equal, Mm -hmm. yet feels entitled to some conveniences of life that others should not have, there will be a great deal of unreasonable, in my estimation, reckoning. It'll be hard for them to make sense of that, uh, and, but they will because that's that's what we do as humans. And how they make sense of that will be, in many ways, unreasonable. But on the other hand, if a person believes in the hierarchy of races, let's say, and assumes that his or her privileges from there, based on that hierarchy, the rule of exception comes into place. So if I believe that I'm I, that I have a right and a privilege to this way of life, this way of living, simply because of who I am, but then I notice you who are unlike me live at that same place. How do I reconcile that? Well, you're one of the good ones. Or you got some some unfair advantage. Or they created a national program or federal program that made it possible for you to be here. You stole it or you got lucky. Wow. That's easy enough. I don't have to, I, I don't have to make anything of myself more or less to reason why what I believe is not lining up with what I see next door. Yeah. That neighbor I speak to every day with the neighbor who who politely gets my mail for me when I go out of town, the neighbor who walks my dog when I'm working late. Wow. It's amazing how we think. And, you know, to an extent, what I hear you ladies suggesting to us as well, even, even here with this cognitive dissonance aspect, is learning to think more like God thinks, because if we think more like God thinks, there'll be a balance and equity for all of humanity when we learn to think more like God thinks. And- so I'm gonna I'm gonna add to that just really quickly, because a part of learning to think like God thinks, especially when we want to combat this. Um, is to recognize what we're thinking. Otherwise, this is what happens with cognitive dissonance. I begin to reason out with the scriptures. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Why I I behave the way I do. I, I can make excuses and justifications for those things. And so a part of that, I think, is naming it or facing it Mm. those things have to be faced we gotta face the ugly truths and when we're able to face the ugly truths in the mirror of god's word in the mirror of god's truth every time that thing raises up or rises up in us immediately the spirit can, the spirit knows that this is not God. Yeah. But beyond that, I'm just like, oh, it's all fine and good. Wow. 
because wow. it will rise up. It will rise up often because it is codified in your brain. Mm-hmm. So this this is that this is an actual it's a faith issue for for people who who are born in America and want to follow the word of God and advance the kingdom. Mm-hmm. If you are a person that is born and let's just take the south. A person that's born in the south. Um the messages that uh you know of privilege or the the message of a hierarchy is all around every person in the south regardless of their cultural ethical um ethnic background Mm -hmm. and when they uh take in those messages it goes into their brains it goes into subconscious and when you're dealing with people that are different whether you want to believe this way or not, it's going to come out, mm. right? And so then if, if you become a person that wants to really wrestle with that and change your, your thought process, that is a, that's, it, it's a lifelong pursuit. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. When, when you started talking about facing the truth, and I've heard, and you may have as well, and many of our listeners may have as well, I've heard people define a perspective as my truth, as my truth. This is how I see it, so this is my truth. Now, I think I know what people mean when they say that, but if we're gonna be able to reach across the racial divide, it can't be how I see it based on, again, what you all were just discussing, it's got to be how God sees it. So when we talk about truth, it's got to be truth that's unfiltered because it's truth that comes from the heart of God. Because if I buy into a perspective and say, well, this is my truth, you don't have to see it like I see it. This is my truth. Now, what I have effectively done is I've set myself in a place of I could be wrong. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I could be wrong. And as educators, uh, um, and of course you all are in the classroom all the time, my experience has been that many of us, because again, having been working with people for 40 plus years, I've come across few people that even consider you know, I could be wrong. So when we consider truth, a favorite portion of a few good men, um, Colonel Jessup told Tom Cruise, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> but it's true from God's perspective that will make us free. And so, ladies, with this aspect, did you want to, Dr. G, I thought I saw a thought right there. Did I see a thought? No, I, I, I love thinking. That's just one of my hobbies. So just go on. <laughs> so then how does, and, and Dr. Neely, we'll pick back up with you. How does cognitive dissonance play a role in how a person sees people who are different than they are? So I, I think cognitive di- dissonance uh, 
I, I think uh, like Dr. G says, it allows people who see people that are different to either decide, uh, am I seeing this person as an exception? Am I seeing this person um, the way I've been taught to see them and, and the way my brain is telling me to see them? Am I seeing this person through the lens that God wants me to see them? And I, I, I think that that is a, a question that all too often falls to the wayside and the person just automatically goes with wherever their mind is. And mm -hmm. let's, what, let's, and, and let's, let me pose a question to you all. What does the scripture say about the struggle between our mind, body, our soul? There's a struggle there. Yes, absolutely. And if we go back to this, the scripture, this is an example of what, where that struggle takes place in reality. There's, you know, you're, the, the word tells us one thing, but we, we, can't always rectify or, or even or live out the word because we are so much entrenched in what we see. And, and so it was with your question, I believe it was Paul who talked about the warring of yes. his mind, right? Yes. Right. And I, this goes back to what I said earlier. He says, well, you know, when I want to do good, evil is ever present. Mm -hmm. And then he ends with, but I recognize this. Um, and he, he begins to speak about God's presence. Yes. And God's ability to lead and to uh, direct his life. But in, in the beginning of that was a recognition. It was a... Uh, uh, and I don't want to say acceptance, but it was a naming. It was a actually seeing. It was a recognition yes. of what was wrong, right, with him. And Don't that's where I feels. exactly. Yeah. And so with yes. yes. So without us, us being human beings, without us having that sort of reckoning these opened eyes that say, oh my goodness, this is where I am. I do have it wrong. Mm -hmm. It goes back to the Then order. there is no reconciliation with right. other people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It goes back to the order. We, we, we have to spend more time understanding that we are the created. Uh, I'm yeah. we, we have to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We can't solve problems all the time. We don't know the answers. We can't control our own thoughts in our brains. We have <laughs> to understand we are the created. Right. So that means that our gaze, because it was God who opened Paul's eyes. Yeah. That means our gaze has to be on him. And that's, uh, what every, this, that's in the essence in every scripture. Set your sights on me. Right. right. Knock and I'll I open the door. And so with, with the racial tensions in America, Christians have to turn back to Christ. We have to set our sights. That's good. Because there are no solutions among us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the solution <laughs> is with the creator. That's right. That's right. And there is a certain accountability that we ought to take on with one another. So yes, you know, what God talks about you know, forsaking not the assembly of ourselves together. We normally take that 
and rightly should, that's attendance at church. But yet we are assembled here tonight. We are assembled here tonight on one accord because of our love for God, love for God's people, and a desire to make a difference through mentorship. I think we got time for one more question, Stu. How are we doing on time? We doing all right? Um, we got, we got, we have 52.15. All right. Okay. Well, yeah. what are we going to do? Because I don't think we're going to be able to get through that question, this next question. But what we're <laughs> going to do, we're going we're gonna to pick up next month. And I want to thank our special guests tonight, Dr. Neely and, and Dr. G for being with us. This has been a fantastic conversation and dialogue, uh, and we're grateful for the principles and precepts that have been shared, shared here tonight. We briefly began talking about Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well, but because Jesus was concerned about her as a person and not her ethnicity or nationality, he was able to reach across the racial divide because of the core of his efforts were love, God's love. And so, one of the things that we want to close with tonight, Stu, is that the, the central aspect of reaching across the racial divide is always going to be rooted in God's love. And we talked about that in several different ways and throughout the questions this evening. And so once again, we want to share with our audience, yes, we are capable of reaching across the racial divide, just as Jesus did when we follow his pattern. He established a relationship with that woman. She came in just a few moments. Uh, she was able to trust him. And because Jesus made the effort to reach out to her, connected with her relationally, he changed her life and she changed the city's life. She became the city's first evangelist. A two-day revival broke out in that city because Jesus reached across the racial divide. So thank you all so much for joining us tonight. And again, special thanks to Dr. Neely and to Dr. G for being with us tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to encourage you to mark your calendars for August the 6th. I'm sorry, August the 3rd, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. We're going to pick this conversation back up. There's much more that we want to draw out of these tremendous educators, mentors, and models. So mark your calendars for August 3rd, 6 p.m. right here on KRGN Radio. FM 98.5. Stu, we're back in your hands, my brother. Yes, indeed. This has been a blessing. No doubt about it. I can't wait for August 3rd. It ain't here yet. Come on, somebody. No <laughs> doubt about it. I echo those thoughts as well, Dr. Krul, as it relates to Dr. Neely and Dr. G being here to help us all out to get focused. Amen. And so what a blessing that has been. So I want to go ahead and just thank our listening audience on behalf of Dr. Krul, the host of making a difference through mentorship for letting us be in your ear for what God would have you to hear. We pray that you'll continue to pray for us, pray for this particular segment, pray for the broadcast, and even so pray for KRGN 98.5. Having said all that, God bless you all. Have a triumphant rest of your evening and know that I love you, but God loves you more. Amen and amen. Good night, everybody. <laughs>